Hello everybody and welcome to the History Voyager. My name is Benjamin Kitchings. As always, there are a zillion podcasts out there. Thank you very, very much for listening to mine. Without a doubt to me, the internet has caused more changes than anything else in my life. It has caused cultural changes. It has caused commercial changes. I think the commercial changes were what people focused on, at least initially. But to me... The more interesting, and I think the more long-lasting ones, are the cultural changes. Take, for example, the number of people who can interact on chat boards as peers that never would have been able to do that. And many, many people in this country, for example, have have learned about, you know, the the social safety net in Europe uh, versus the social safety net in the United States, and um, in a way that you never would have learned that from, I think, the, you know, the uh, legacy media, because this comes from the worm's eye view, so to say. I also think, and I talk about this in one of my episodes um, on my show, that I learned a lot about the you know, war in Ukraine because of social media. I, along with millions of other people, saw the video of the armored rocket launching vehicles across the farm in Ukraine, and I presume they were Russian, but I don't know. And of course I saw the very brave videos of the Ukrainian people fighting against Russian forces and of course you know that brings me to another interesting problem or situation with the internet is to what degree was I being shown those videos because the powers that be in that app being TikTok wanted me to see them now that's a good question and that's not a question I know the answer to but you know that is the dichotomy I think with the internet is it gives you a bigger base of knowledge, but to what extent is that knowledge being curated? I think that's something we're going to wrestle with for years. And along with that, you know, the bigger base of knowledge comes this ever-expanding, ever-more-explosive rate of change And that's something I wanted to talk about today on my show. James Burke is a historian. He's a historian of science, and he's a journalist. He covered the space program for the BBC in the 1970s and in the 1960s. And then later, he was on PBS, and then later, of course, cable with his shows in the Connection series, and also Why the Universe Changed. He's somebody that I have been familiar with for most of my life. I could say he's one of the reasons that I like history so much, because of all the little connections that he points out. One of the most fascinating things about his basic thesis is that It's the little things that add up to big things. And the little things are 
things that most people don't even notice at first. In the 1990s, James Burke gave two speeches in Ball State University in Indiana, one entitled The Axe Makers of the 21st Century, and the other one entitled Why Do Lemons Whistle? So, in these speeches, Mr. Burke talks about a progression of change that leads to the modern day. And in these speeches, he, you know, he's a man of his time, I should say, which, for those of you who don't remember, the 90s were a fairly long time ago now. The 1990s was largely a time of thinking when Americans, and indeed the whole world, basically thought change and technological progress was mainly a positive thing. Well, in these two speeches, Mr. Burke echoes that widely held sentiment, but he also says a little bit about the other side. There are forces, he says, in both of these speeches that simply want to stay the same, and these forces have always been with us. And the difference is that between this upcoming period of time and before was that the change didn't happen so fast. And he gave the rather uh, blunt example that his father um, got medals for killing Germans in World War II, and he thinks Germans are rather nice people, but that's because, quite frankly, you know, the world has changed. Well, he says, well, you know, in the, in the coming time, which is, of course, now, change will happen so fast that it will happen unevenly. And one thing I noticed a lot in my life and also in my show interviewing people is that change happens, at least in America, first in the cities because that's where commerce is, that's where the fruits of capitalism can be picked. And so traditionally that gives people more money and so they can have different experiences from that of their rural peers, and even, as they say, families of origin. And one thing I think that lays out, or that is laid out by Mr. Burke in both of these speeches is how politically problematic the rate of change was going to be. And that's what's so amazing, is that in the 1990s, James Burke saw that this explosive rate of change was going to be very, very politically problematic. I mean, as most people are aware today, the millennial uh, millennials in this country um, have much more progressive or 
left-leaning views from their Generation X parents or their boomer parents. And I think that's, I mean, I think that's obvious. I mean, you think about all the recessions that we've lived through um, as millennials and as even just late Gen X. And a lot of those recessions, the boomers didn't have to go through in their formative years. And you think also about the explosive change that we were exposed to at a very young age. In both of the speeches, given several years apart, Mr. Burke goes into this sort of a, a rant about how one of the things that society is going to have to deal with is that never before have, have there been so many people that have so much access to knowledge and also have access to the means to get them an audience. I mean, I have only to look at my podcast and my various blogs that I've done as an answer to that, where prior to, you know, a few years ago, if I were to go back into the 90s, for example, I'm sure Mr. Burke back then would have you could have explained what a podcast was. You know, the, the parallels between podcasting and radio are are just mind-boggling, especially the early days of radio. But it is a very a very changing and transformative um, medium. I mean, let, let's get real. Anyway, getting back to Mr. Burke, Mr. Burke said that Basically, the accelerating rate of change was going to be very destabilizing. And during the changes, so during the adaptation of more people to the technology, but also the knowledge, which he calls esoteric knowledge, because the truth is that a lot of people before this couldn't read. He said some mind-boggling statistic that prior to 1900, fewer than, you know, 2% of the world's population could read. Let's think about that. And now we have this mass literacy. If you don't think mass literacy is a technology, try to go into a society that doesn't have it. Think about how many concepts you can be exposed to simply because you can read funny little shapes on a page that your brain sort of interpolates into words, you know, and think about how much more comfortable with change or with some of the trappings of change that you could be simply because you can read. And think about how explosive this technology is. It's portable. It essentially can travel forward in time. Um, if you can have multiple languages, you can just read that much more things. And some of this was, some of the pushback from this was the politics. But some of it, I, and I think the part that I think we don't talk about it near as much, 
is are these people that genuinely feel like they're going to be left behind, if not technologically, then culturally. But I think on the other side of this thing that James Burke saw over 30 years ago at this point is another thing that I don't think he would have been aware of or as aware of back in the 1990s. This idea that, as he calls them, the axe makers of the 21st century, that is, these people that can wield the technology effectively in, in this new economy, that this was always kind of a specialist idea. Well, what happens when you don't need specialists? What happens when you can educate people away from the academy in theory, if not in practice? The answer, I think, is that knowledge becomes less important in the minds of many, many people because the need for abstract knowledge becomes less important, partly because what is abstract becomes further and further from one's lived experience. Geometry has no use to the hunter-gatherer, just like it has very little use to the, you know, middle school kid taking geometry. And if the middle school kid taking geometry never has a job where he needs or she needs to take geometry, they just forever think geometry is abstract. For one, I, I can't think of the last time I used algebra consciously if it wasn't in high school or early college. But the problem, as James Burke lays out, is that the knowledge becomes more and more specialized, and so therefore fewer and fewer people find value in it. And that's a serious problem in a democracy because, as we all know, in a democracy, education is on the ballot. And we see that in America today where questions about education and what should happen in school and what kids should be reading are on the ballot. And there really is a part of me that says, well, does school teach people about life or does it teach people about things they should be doing on the job? Alternatively, do you want to use school to teach people not how to think in terms of what to think, but how to find their own opinions or how to figure things out later in life? And there's a lot of people today that simply do not realize that that is what school is for in modern America. And even though James Burke back in the 1990s with these two speeches talks about this. He details the, what he rightly, I think, perceives as a coming divide between people who were trained in a tradition that he hearkens all the way back to indeed the makers of hand tools because as he 
so eloquently lays out in his Anglo, you know, in his Anglo-Irish voice, the the creation of the hand axe basically separated tool users from non-tool users and basically made knowledge more and more esoteric and more and more um, specialized. But as he lays out, the reaction of the people that were trained to to think and to understand things and trained in a what some people perceive as antiquated or even unnecessary education will be um, will set the stage for political fights for years. And indeed, I honestly don't know when it'll stop, but I do think it will stop. What James Burke does in these two speeches lays out again and again that this is a continuing phenomenon. That is, the the change causes a reaction which, you know, feeds in on itself, and sometimes that reaction becomes explosive and sometimes it doesn't. In general, as historians would love to tell you, if you want a population to basically think changes societally and technologically are good things, there has to be some economic fruit. I think what we're seeing today is this overreaction with education being free. And you see that with especially with chat GPT and also with the rush to essentially outsource thinking and thought to a chat bot, which when you listen to what, you know, the, the mathematicians, et cetera, are saying, it's not really intelligent. It's just probabilistic. So how much of your products, you know, commercially are done by probability and how much of it is requiring genuine thinking and thought. And I think over time we're going to find out that more and more stuff needs to have thinking and thought because, simply put, there's going to be more and more changes and people are going to have to adapt to those changes. Take, for example, um, you know, websites, smartphones, um podcasting the applications for podcasting and blogging in the advertising space the list just keeps going on and on also I think it's important to understand that despite what any high minded titles might you know lead us to believe we're not necessarily moving towards any one thing you know the world does not unfold in a teleological manner. And the way I like to look at history is not in a straight line, but more as like wet spaghetti that sort of folds in on itself and things like that. And I can recommend uh, several books, one of which I'm actually listening to now, uh, Barbara Tuckman's um, book, a distant mirror, which is 
basically her look at the 14th century. And that might be an episode of this History Voyager podcast where I, I talk about that book because I I totally uh, feel like it's it's well worth discussing and well worth enlightening people too and like that. But, you know, despite what these optimistic futurists believe, we're not per se moving towards any one future. And actually, what I actually believe is that the, the future will continue to fold out in a, in a very uneven and wildly unpredictable manner. And I think more and more people will be left behind unless they either can catch up cognitively or society um where the axe makers were the were the specialists what i what i see more of is society sort of privileging or over privileging the generalist so basically ignoring specialized training in favor of sort of a general way to attack uh, what is today the world of work. And I think we need to understand that, that a lot of this change that we're perceiving, which had been, you know, around the watering hole of the culture, increasingly is going to shift more and more towards um, the watering hole of, of work, which is going to become more and more specialized and less and less common, both by design and by accident. And I think that is a, a thing we're going to be struggling with in society. And this I've seen echoed throughout James Burke's career. I've seen him again and again make the, you know, the connection, so to speak, that we need to balance technology with human connection. We need to balance the possibility of working from home with the stress that would put on relationships. Now, frankly, here we are in 2023 and 23% or 25% of uh, white-collar work happens from the house. So here's what I think. I think people are going to seek new things in relationships. And I think those things are going to put stressors on certain traditional values for what relationships are. And I think that's going to be an interplay. I also think we're going to see a push away from this dichotomy of uh, the cities and the countryside because, frankly, I talk to a lot of people all over the country, and what I hear are people that want to move out into what we call exurban areas, but the things that they're missing are things like amenities and, and like the school systems and, frankly, the Internet speed. If you're going to keep working from home... You're going to need the internet speed to do that. Remember, let's be patient here. As Mr. Burke, and I'm just going to echo what he said in really both of his speeches. 
there's never been a cohort of people that's been this large, that has been this self-aware that they live in changing times. And I think that's important to remember. I also think it's important to remember that Generation X and Millennials both grew up in a milieu of very high concept um, science fiction, some of which was quite utopian. So there, I think there's this expectation of utopian change, which I, I really don't think is going to live up to people's expectations at all, at least the fictional expectations. So, like, years ago, I made the um, rather crazy-sounding observation that, you know, Star Trek was, in fact, fiction. And what I mean by that is that literally, you know, the, the miles markers that we're using for this utopian future that so many people seem to think that we're heading towards are, in fact, fiction and were, in fact, made up you know, as a way to sell products over the television. The reason I wanted to talk about this is because I thought both of these speeches taken together explain very well the politics of our day. I will leave links below in the description. But I also want to say that I don't think this is the end. I mean, I, I look at our society, you know, and with chat GPT and things like that. And also, I don't think the metaverse is going to be run by Facebook, but I think the, something like the metaverse or something that does what the metaverse claims that it does is going to come online. I, I think it's going to be more open source than not. And I think that once that happens, I think our society is going to dramatically shift. And there are, you know, loads and loads and loads of historical examples of, you know, the, the, the loom replaced people that, you know, made cloth by hand and, you know, the, the cobblers in France destroyed the machines that replaced them. That's that's where the term Luddite comes from. But, you know, over time, those jobs were replaced. But I think we need to understand that those people that, whose jobs were, you know, taken by machines... A lot of those people didn't find equally paying work. And, you know, or if they did, they had to be retrained. And I think one of the things that we're going to run into as a culture is there's just a certain population that cannot be trained in such a way that they can compete with you know, an AI, even if the a all the AI does is mimic basically a, a middle schooler, because that's what where ChatGPT is today. It can can work, it can recreate the output of a middle schooler. And there's lots of professors that say 
you know, well, that's already as good as some of the people in my class. And I'm, I'm over here, for one, saying, well, that sounds like an education problem as much as anything else, to be perfectly frank that we've never really progressed the education model for even a lot of college people beyond that of a high school system or whatever. Anyway, that's some food for thought I'm going to leave you guys with. And, oh, I need to do some housekeeping right now. So... The housekeeping I'm going to do is, this is my first podcast on my brand new feed. I'm on some new platforms as well as a few old ones. I will be on, you know, I will be on um, Google Podcast in about two weeks again. And my old dead feed is on... Apple still, but this is my new live feed, um, and also I will be on other catchers as I can hook myself into them. I'm, I'm on Amazon Music for the first time, uh, so that's cool. I, I will hopefully be on Stitcher pretty soon. Those are the main ones, is uh, Apple, Spotify, and, and Stitcher. And Deezer, which is a European thing I'm, I'm new to, and that's huge in Europe. So, hey to all my European listeners out there. Alright, so like I always say every time, I'm having a great day, and I hope you are too. Alright folks, goodbye.